All right, church, turn to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, as we are moving through this book and really at the end of it, in many ways, the last chapter, as I said, can feel like, the last chapter of some of the pastoral epistles um, can feel like um, sort of an appendix-like, if you will, um, and sometimes we kind of move through it too quickly and we feel like it's just details that are specific to the people and not super relevant to us. However, that is not true, and the Bible says that uh, about itself, that all Scripture is, is breathed out by God and is useful uh, for our good in many ways, and so we want to submit ourselves to it. Uh, so look at, with me, if you would, First Corinthians 16, as we're getting ready to get into that, I think I, I just want to remind you a bit um, of how important it is to have a Christian worldview. And for some of you, that may be a new word or just a difficult to define. You, you've heard it thrown around, but you're not sure what it means. But I think it's becoming increasingly uh, evident why that matters. As our culture is, is, is quickly moving away, and by our culture I mean America, is quickly moving away from uh, just Christian morals and values and things like that. It, it's going to uh, be important that we know what we believe and why we believe it because as different worldviews start to influence our country, we will see some of the detriment that happens and, and some of the dangers that happen and why we will be needed even more so to be the salt and the light. And so that is happening in many ways. And, and I, one of the things you may have noticed about our culture is that we, as we have this, uh, this tendency is whenever there's a, there's a currently, and it's really not that new, it's just really getting magnified in this season, um, but there's this tendency is whenever there's a group of people, right, a, a, a group, whether that be a, a race of people, whether that be a, 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 a gender of people or a particular group like the police, whatever it may be, that when those things, whenever people within those groups do egregious things and sin against other people and fail to just be good humans, that there's an increasing movement in our culture that the solution should be to get rid of those people. And you've seen this. It's a movement, one of the most clear ones is, is defund the police, which is nonsense, okay? It's just silly. Like it, and what I mean is there's no logic to it, okay? It, it, for many reasons, now there's a lot to debate about the role of government and what, what they should and shouldn't be doing, but that one's not up for debate. Like that's one of the only explicitly biblically commanded roles of the government is to wield the sword against evil, like, that is one of the most, that is the clearest role. Now, does it, does it explicitly say that it should look like we have it looking in America? No, but I think we're doing as well as, as, you know. Anyway, so here's the idea. Here's why I talk about worldview. Because we as Christians know that this world is broken, but that the solution is that it needs to be redeemed. Okay? That, that all of life, like all of us are broken, and that brokenness, that sinfulness makes its way into all peoples, right? Regardless of the group, the race, the gender, or the organization, or the career, or whatever, makes its way into those things and will indeed play out, and there will be evil that happens, there will be corruption that happens, but it doesn't mean that the solution is to focus all our energy at that group or that organization and get rid of them. The, the solution is to seek to redeem that right, and seek to redeem, especially when it comes to God-given, God-ordained things. And, and I would say, for example, that having a government-ordained organization like the police is indeed one of those things that God has said, hey, this is one of the roles. I put government in place for a reason, for your good, and this is one of its primary roles. Okay, so 
Here, here's the deal. We shouldn't be all that surprised by this movement of defund the police because in reality, it's just the newest materialization of, of things that have been happening for years. And one of the ways that we can reflect back, and it's still happening, but it's not as much on the front line because other things have taken precedent, is that we've been doing the same thing with men. Our culture has been doing the same thing with men. What I mean by that is that there has been a, a trend where men are acting out of line with God's design for them, right? That they've been objectifying women, they've been abusing women, they have done many things that are indeed wrong, but what, what's happened in the society is, is, is look at those few examples, and, and maybe few is not a great word because there was a lot of examples, and to move the solution is, well, we need to get rid of masculinity. We need to get rid of men. And this has been happening and is continuing to happen at, at a, a rapid pace and is playing out in many different ways. So, we come to today's passage, and Paul throws in, it's, it's a couple of small, seemingly small verses, and yet what he says, I think, is increasingly important for us in today's world. And so let's look together at 1 Corinthians 16. We'll read these two verses. I know I've skipped a few. Uh, the other verses are going to be tied into next week as we kind of wrap up the book. So I just want to look at 13 and 14 today. So 1 Corinthians 16, just look at, first, at 13 and 14. We're going to read these and then ask for the Lord's help. It says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray. God, would you help us? Because we need it. We, our world, we need your help. There are ways that, that your design has been undermined and eroded and pervaded, per, uh, Lord, that we don't even know how to name and recognize, and yet we feel the effects, and, and our world feels the effects, and, and they don't know where to turn for the solution, but we, we, we do. We know that it's, it's found in you, and redemption is in you. And so may we, as a people, not be ones that reject masculinity and reject biblical manhood, but rather seek to redeem manhood and where it has fallen short to, to call it back to you. Lord, would you help us with that this morning to be your people and to rightly reflect your design and to live it out for the good of, of, your, of your world and for the glory of you, Jesus, and for your church. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I want to be clear from the outset that Paul is not uh, writing this passage and um, to put women down. Okay, I just want to be clear from, that, from the beginning. And, and so it wasn't written for that means, and it shouldn't be used for that means. Okay, we as Christians, there, there are two... Um, ideas and ditches that we need to reject when it comes to masculinity and manhood. And one of them, right, is the idea of, of, of men being better than women, right? And so that, that turns to, that plays itself out in chauvinism, right, where, where they are, are of more value and the women need to be quiet and not be heard and, and, and really, you know, in many ways get fleshed out. And, and, and so there has rightly been pushback against that from our culture. Again, we need to be able to 
amen what is right when that pushback and reject what is wrong. And that's a nuanced conversation that we don't have uh, time for today. But we need to reject chauvinism, but we also need to reject full-blown egalitarianism, meaning there is no difference, right? So that's, that's the other side of saying there is no difference between male and female. Um, and, and so, you know, anybody can do anything they want. And it, and it plays itself out in strange ways. And we need to be careful um, when we are uh, celebrating things like the, the young woman playing for uh, Vanderbilt football team. We need to be careful when we're celebrating, okay? I, I didn't say don't celebrate, okay? I, I said we need to be careful when we celebrate. Because if we're celebrating the fact that old girl's got a heck of a leg that can kick a football, amen to that, right? And if we're celebrating the fact that she's better than some of those jokers that are dudes, amen to that. I got no issues with that, right? But if we're Celebrating the blurring of lines between male and female and, and the doing away with one for the sake, then, then I, got, I got concerns, right? So we need to be careful. We need to be nuanced in our thinking. We need to be able to celebrate what is good and right and reject what is not. And so that, that is, our, is our call as a people, and it is a challenge that is increasing in today's world. And so when it comes to this issue of masculinity. I, I want to be clear that this, this passage was not written to put women down, rather to call men up. Okay? It was not written to put women down, right, and in their place, which is someplace less than men. It's not true. We need to reject that from the outset and be clear that that is not what Paul meant, and it should not be what we use it for. Okay? You still with me? It's not written to put women down. Rather, it is meant to call men up, not higher in value than the women, but rather higher than they're currently living. Right? Higher than they're currently living because men are prone to live in passivity and in um, cowardice and in, in slothfulness and in all sorts of other sins. And so Paul is saying, hey, men, you're not living up to what God has called you to be as men. And so he's going to call them up, not push women down. Okay? Not push women down. In fact, as I got into this, I, I sort of, I, I, we, you know, we pride ourselves in trying not to be, you know, things, we, we don't want to take things out of context here at The Journey. We want to preach through the Bible, let it, you know, preach it where it lies, if you will, and not, not try to take it somewhere else. And so there was a moment where I was like, man, am I making too big a deal? This is just one verse in the midst of this. Like, maybe I shouldn't be, you know, preaching on manhood. I just grouped this in with Paul's closing remarks or whatever. And, and then as I got to studying it this week, I was like, man, I, I don't know. I think I need a whole series. Like, I don't feel bad anymore about it being one week I, or, you know, one sermon. I think I need a whole series. And we, we have done that back in the Gender Revealed series. So you can, you can look at that, and we will do it again. We will continue to talk about men and, and, and gender and those things because it's going to be an increasing need. So we're not going to shy away from that, um, but we are, we're going to look at that. So, so this is what Paul is, is saying to a, a church. And indeed, we need to know that this is being read out loud to a whole church. So this is being spoken to both men and women, okay? And some of your translations, as you look at verse 13, will not say, like mine does, act like men. Um, and and that's, that's okay. There, there's, there's a couple of faithful translations there. Um, and, and you'll see that, that some of them, many will say, act like men. Others will say, simply translate that to say, be uh, courageous, and, and I don't think either is, is wrong. They're both saying something true about what God is doing there. However, there is a masculine um, root to that. And it, and it is best translated, act like a man or be a man. Or even it is appropriate, it, in our context, it would be to man up, right? When we say man up, meaning get over your fears, get over what's in front of you, and do what you're called to do. Do what is hard. Do what, it, do what is necessary. Man up. 
Okay, now again, there's qualifiers there. There's context there. Because what the culture says about, you know, man can be way out of, out of line, right? We need to know what it means to be a man. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We can't talk about all of the, you know, fake ideas of masculinity because they're everywhere, right? And I think the same is true about biblical justice. We're going to talk about that sometime in the next few weeks because there, there are, with, with manhood, with just, like all these things, uh, if you've heard the story of being counterfeit, right, or, or trying to learn how to spot counterfeit bills, how do they train somebody, like those, whoever those people are, to, to spot counterfeit bills? Well, do they, do they try to learn all the ways that counterfeiters are, are faking bills, right? Learn all the nuances of the way they're, they're doing that? No, no, no. The, the way that you train a counterfeiter to spot counterfeits is to, te- is to make them study and learn in depth and detail the real deal, right? It's to study the real deal, to know it backwards, forwards, every in and out, every defining mark, every piece of it that says this is the real thing. And then when you know the real thing in and out and backwards and forwards, then you'll be able to spot a fake, right? So we need to do the same thing when it comes to masculinity. So let us not think that to be a man means that we drive a jacked up four-wheel drive truck and we, you know, we kill all of our meat with a bow and arrow and we, you know, we drink only this kind of beer and we do this and we do that and we, you know, we, we don't show our emotions. Let, let's not let the culture define what manhood is because that, that's not what biblical, like some of those things are, are good and right. It's not wrong to, I, I got a four-wheel drive Jeep. I, I like it a lot, right? It doesn't make me a man though. Right? I sat in a tree stand yesterday, and I enjoyed it. It doesn't make me a man, though. Okay, So we need to be clear about that. And so that's what we're going to do, is to look at what, what does Paul say here about biblical masculinity? Because what Paul is saying to a church that is going through all sorts of struggles, and there is pressure from the culture, and a lot of what Paul has been doing in this book of 1 Corinthians is helping them um, navigate the pressures from the culture that are informing wrongly oftentimes how they're operating as a church. So he's been helping them to rightly divide that. Okay, reject that, embrace that, do more of that, do less of that. That's what he's been doing. And so he's saying in the midst of a culture that, you know, that is putting pressure on us as a church, you're going to need to have some courage. You're going to need to stand firm. And, and, and to do that, you're going to need to be like men. Okay, so that's what Paul says here is to be uh, man, to man up, okay? So again, that, that Greek word there that, that is the underlying verb, andresithai, is, is, is most faithfully said or translated act like men. But again, if you've got a, a version in NIV or New Living or a New Revised Standard, it will say be courageous, and there's probably some others in there. Um, and, and so some of those, you know, think that this is, you know, some of those would reject this idea of it being a call to manhood and say, okay, this is being written to the whole church, and, and so we, we don't want to make it a manhood deal. However, if you look at the, the Greek word that, that's actually the root there, A-N-E-R, that actually refers to adult males. So that root is males, plural. Okay, so it's interesting that there's a couple, so it's not just one male. He's not just talking to one guy in the church. He's talking to all of them. But also, it it also means um, adult, meaning not 
childish. So there's two opposites there, meaning it's not talking about female characteristics and traits, and it's also not talking about childish ways. We saw back in uh, chapter 13 where Paul called them to rise above their childish ways. They were being selfish and foolish and focusing on the wrong things and trying to get attention like children do. Paul says, don't be a child. Stop being, don't, don't, stop being a child. Don't, don't um, live out childish ways, but rather be mature. So it's this idea of, of maturity, but it's also this idea of masculine. So the, the, it is to the whole church, right? It is not just that men should be courageous and strong and watchful. It is not, that's, that's not true. It is written to the whole church. Women should actually, absolutely be strong and watchful and, and firm, standing firm. All of those things are applied to them as well. However, it's interesting that there is a masculine root there. It's a masculine um, idea that is affirmed throughout the scripture. We see in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, whenever um, David is about to die, he's talking to his son Solomon, and he tells him uh, something specific. I think we got that, Miranda, and I, I don't have it on mine, so I'm going to need to reference that. He says this. He says, hey, I'm about to go the way of the all the earth, which is meaning he's going to die. And he tells his son Solomon, be strong and show yourself a man. Be strong and show yourself a man. We see this affirmed throughout Scripture. We see other times whenever they're talking about battle and they're, they're talking about <clears throat> how, you know, don't. We see the Philistines calling out and saying, hey, don't, don't act like a woman on the battlefield. We see there, there is a juxtaposition between masculine and feminine. Not inequality, however, it, it is indeed a difference. One that doesn't need to be confused and done away with, but rather clarified and celebrated. Okay, so when it comes to gender in our, in our day, th- there are indeed differences, and those differences are not to be dismissed and, and sort of eroded and, and done away with. However, what they need to be done is clarified what is true masculinity, what is true femininity, and then celebrated. Okay? So clarified and celebrated, not done away with, not washed away, not, not you know, minimized. And listen here, men, like, the church hasn't done us any favors here historically. We have, a, we have a, a strong showing of men, even as I look out right now. Like, I'm proud of the, of the percentage of men that are in our church. That, that, that is, I'd say we're, we are, are in the minority when it, compared to other churches when you look at just demographics because churches haven't done a great job historically of calling men to be men. We've, we've, we've talked about what it means to be a Christian. We, we've kind of focused on, well, we read a lot and we sing, and then we sit around circles and talk about our feelings, and most men are like, mm, no thanks, right? We've not done a good job of calling men to battle, calling men to fight, calling men to be what God has called them to be. And so the church has not historically, at least in the last few decades, done a great job of, of building up these differences and calling men to be men. There's an article referenced in your uh, digital bulletin on the app um, there's, there's a book and an article, as always, and the article, um, et cetera, talks about how Paul finishes that verse about being strong, standing firm, being watchful, acting like men, but then he says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Well, what's, what does that mean? Well, listen here. The, what it means is those things aren't opposed. To be strong, to be a man, to stand firm is not at odds with being loving. Rather, 
We are called to be, lo- be loving as men through the God-given traits of strength and determination that as we engage with the world, it's not, see, a lot of people say, well, you're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be, we're supposed to be meek, aren't we? Well, listen, meekness is not an absence of strength. Meekness does not mean weakness. Do you know that? Young people, meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means you have strength, but you only use it when it's appropriate. You have strength, but you have it on reserve so that you don't just go around knocking people down because you can, but you use it when it is right and good and appropriate for the good of others. So yeah, we need to be strong and we need to have that firmly as a part of our identity as men that we love the world, we love those around us by being the men that God has called us to be. That to be loving doesn't have some other calling in it that, that tells us to squash all of our you know, strength, our, our desire for adventure, for a battle to fight. We don't have to leave that behind for the sake of being loving. Rather, we embody God's love as we boldly become the man that God has called us to be. So here's the deal, church. As our world continues on its path of eradicating masculinity, right, of, of emasculating men and masculating women, as the, as the world continues on that path of doing away with, with, with manhood because there's been some things that, that manhood in general has been associated with really wrong things and need to be called out, Right? But rather than do away with it, we want to redeem it. Right? And so as the, as the world continues on its path, it's going to come to a day when much like the people who think they don't need the police are going to come to a day right, when evil is at their door and danger is at their nose, they're going to wish they had police. Right? They're going to wish they had someone on the other end of that 911 call. Right? You see where I'm going with it? You see where I'm tracking? Like, if they think that's the good idea to get rid of that, they're going to come to a day whenever they're going to go, oh, yeah, that's why we need that. Listen, the culture's going to do the same thing about men, right? As they increasingly say, we don't need that, that's toxic, get rid of masculinity, they are at the same time going to see a proportionate rise in the need for men to show up and be men. For men to stand in the gaps for their families. To men to stand in the gaps and do the hard things that God has called us to do. For men to show other young men how to be a man and how to handle their strength. Right? Why do you think that video games that are like war-based and Call of Duty and all of those things, why do you think they're so popular amongst young men? Because God made us that way, right? We want to fight. Like, like we do. I've had three girls. It's all I can make biologically. Fostering, though, we got a couple boys. You know what? Everything's a weapon to my boy Logan. Everything's a weapon, and I love it. Right now, he's, you know, he's hurting people. I gotta, I gotta rein that in, right? But everything's a weapon to him. You know what everything is to my girls? Something they can play dolls with. They're super creative. They, 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 and I didn't force that on them. That's just the natural progression of things, right? Now, hear me say this. I'm not the guy that tries to, to say, oh, girls don't need to learn, and, you know, they don't need to be tough. No, no, no. I'm teaching my girls to use tools. 
I'm teaching my girls to, to be able to take care of themselves. I want them to be able to change a tire, change the oil, all of those things. Like, I'm not, we need to be more nuanced, church. We don't need to reject all of these ideas. Oh, well, that's amazing. No, no, no. We need to be able to be nuanced. They call men to true masculinity and call women to true femininity. And we need to be able to define those things. And I realize that, that this, this, just, this uh, today's sermon is not going to address all of that. And so we will continue as we have in the past, but, but we don't want to juxtapose all of that. However, I'm just saying there are very clear genetic tendencies in the way that God has made us, but there's all sorts of confusion about that. There's all sorts of confusion about that. There are, there are calls for the, the banning. I, I saw the other day some joker, I don't know who it was, was saying that it's evil and um, we need to stop doing gender reveals because it's evil. Let that kid reveal it himself or themselves. No. That's the world we live in where that's evil. But killing the kid if you don't want it, that's okay. That's another sermon. But listen, church, wake up, right? This is why we need men to stand firm and call that what it is. Right When your boys are born as a boy, you raise them as a boy. You teach them how to dress like a boy. You teach them how to live like a boy. And when your girl is born as a girl, you teach them to dress like and live like a girl. Amen? And that is not, it is not enlightened worldview and ideology to say otherwise. It will lead to all sorts of chaos and confusion. And if we're honest, we're already there. Already there. But what we need is not to do away with genders, but to redeem them. Okay? That's what we need. Listen, when there's a bad cop that does bad things, that cop should be called out and, and you know, called to step up, raise up, or be, be done with. But the idea of getting rid of the whole institution is foolish. Same is true of men. When men don't act like men, we men need to step in and say, hey, that's not what men do. Stop it. I had a friend the other day talk about being on a job site and seeing a young boy being abused in this trailer park area by this, old, by this man and this tension that he felt of, what do I do? I need to call a hotline. But what he really wanted to do is go over there and lay hands on that man. And I don't mean to pray for him. And I'm going to be honest. I think we might need to get back to that a little bit. Right? I think that the day whenever men st step in and say, no, sir. No, sir. You don't use your strength to put others down. You don't use your strength to walk over men and women. You use your strength to protect them. And that's what I'm about to do. So step off or I'm going to put my hands. Like, that's who we need to be. And church, men, that's who Paul is calling us to be. That when there's a abuse, when men aren't living up to what God has called us to be, when men are mistreating their wives or their children or their coworkers, or when they are being passive and just not engaging, whenever they're emotionally disconnected, we as other men need to step in and say, hey, bro, let's, let's man up a bit. Let's man up. When men in the church are putting their hands on their wives, too often I've heard stories in the past of, of women coming to church leadership saying, my husband beats me in the church leadership saying, well, you just need to stay, honey. You need to submit. You need to submit. And you, need to, you need to just go back home. 
And I'm oversimplifying that, but those stories ring true over and over and over again. And some people will call me some social justice warrior because I'm calling that out in the church. But I'm telling you, we don't need to be passive about that. We don't need to give a, per a permission slip to men under the banner of Christianity and some you know, misinterpretation of the Bible and verses like submit and, and don't get divorced. Like, people are twisting that to continue to allow men to be something that God has not called men to be. We as men need to step in and say, no, 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 this is, this is who we are called to be. You can take your hands off of your wife and your children and you step aside and get some help. And we're going to stand here and protect them until you do. And if you don't, you will not be allowed back around them. And we as elders, we as men will stand in the gap, right? That that's biblical masculinity to stand firm. This is what Paul is talking about whenever he says, hey, be watchful. So here's the idea. Here's what I'm getting at. As the culture goes its way, it's going to realize, oh, we've made mistakes. Now, it may not articulate it that way, but it's going to be longing for manhood and masculinity to be present. So what do we do as a church? Do we just bemoan it and cry about it? No, no, no. We raise men. We call you men to step up to the plate and be a man. We teach our young men how to be men. We value that, and we just keep cranking out biblical man, right? Biblical man after biblical man, doesn't matter what the world's doing, how far they've gotten away, we're not going to cry, we're, we're stand up, we'll vote, we'll make every relevant step that we can in terms of that, but in the meantime, as a church, we just keep raising men, and we keep raising men, and we keep calling out sinful masculinity, we keep calling up biblical masculinity, and we use the salt and the light to this dark and broken world. So that's what we've got to call to do, that's what we're called to do, so what does that look like? Okay, i got to get back to the text because we got to know, okay, what do we call them in to do? Well, here's what Paul says. Be watchful. A biblical man should be watchful, meaning they should be vigilant against danger. Okay? Vigilant against danger. Men, are you being watchful? Are you just passive? Most of you would deal with things whenever they're brought to you. Most, not all. I've heard stories of of men from the church, right? I forget who told me the story, but they were dating some girl and they walk in and, and the son and the daughter are just screaming at mom and there's just this huge blow up fight and he's like, I don't even know what I got into. Maybe I should leave. And then he's like, where's the, dad must not be here. No, 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 dad's in the other room practicing his putts while his family's burning down in the other room, right? Most of you aren't that, I hope. So most of you, when a danger is presented to you, will step in. But it's more than that. It's not just being reactive. It's being watchful, being diligent against danger. Right? I think all of us, if we knew there was a present and, and clear danger, we would step in, right? Like if we were invaded by an enemy or we had you know, there's somebody running around doing crime sprees. I remember there's been a few different times with that. I, I remember as a kid, I remember the, 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 the railroad killer, Rafael Resendez Ramirez. I don't know. I just remember he had like several names that started with an R, and I was terrified as a kid because we didn't live that far. I, all I knew is I could, hear rail, I could hear trains in my sleep and that this guy was going around killing. It's not even, sorry, I'm making a joke. It's not funny because this guy was going around killing people that live near railroad trains. It freaked me out. Well, guess what? My family adjusted our routines, right? Double-checking those locked doors, right? Being a little more diligent. And you would do the same. If there's very clear and present danger in your neighborhood around your family, you would do the same, right? You would be, be double-checking doors. You might even invest in a security system. You might get the gun out and make sure it's in working order. You might even get in some range time to make sure you can still execute that thing, right? Buy a baseball bat, whatever that may be. You will do that. Well, here's the deal. We don't wait for that to be this clear and present physical danger. The Bible says we need to be watchful right now because we have an enemy. 
First Peter 5.8 says, we have an enemy. He's roaring around. First Peter 5.8 sounds really similar because he says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. We'll get to that. But that's what he's saying. There's an enemy, right? So men, are you being watchful? Are you thinking about the dangers that are present for your family? Are you guarding against dangerous attacks from the enemy? Right? And, and listen, a lot of you are like, yeah, I'll, I'll protect my family. And you kind of immediately go to the dad cleaning the gun when a, when a suitor comes for his daughter. Right? That's what we think about. We're like, I won't protect her. Ain't nobody going to touch. And, and listen, amen to that. Like, I'm good with that. that that'll be me. All right, I got three daughters. I'm already terrified. You're going to show up and ask them for it? Like, you could expect to know that I've been preparing for you, right? And if you put hands on her, right, nobody will find you, right? Like, that's, yes. However, if you wait until then to start protecting your family or being diligent and watchful, then you're too late. You understand? That you're too late, right? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Spiritual powers, right? So are you watching for attacks of your family? They're subtle, right? Attacks on their worldview that man and women aren't any different. Are you seeing that? Are you watching what they watch and are you having conversations with them or shutting it off? Having conversations about why you're shutting it off? Are you, are you having these, these conversations? Are you being diligent? Do you know what they're watching? Do you know what they can watch? Do you know what YouTube channel? You know what? Do you, are you che- checking the view? Or you know who they're talking to on their phones? All of these things. Are you being watchful? Are you watching for sexual perversions, sexual um, exposures that are going to change how they are? Like, are you watching for all of that? Are you watching for the lies about gender or, or about what it means to be a Christian? Are you watching for all of that? Are you watching who's influencing your kids? Do you know what they're learning at school, both from the teachers and their friends? Are you being watchful, men? Because our families need us to be the ones right? And if you're here, I just want to say quickly, if you're here and you're a single woman or a single mom, don't, don't, feel, like, don't feel like that all is just lost for you or that like, you're going to have to step into some of that, but we as a church need to step in with you and fill those gaps, okay? So you let us know if that's you and you're struggling. Like We want to, we want to step in with you and, that, and you shouldn't feel alone. And, and, and part of, the, part of the, the, the movement behind feminism and behind some of these things is it, we want to blame the women for trying to take this charge. But listen, if men would have been men that God had called us to be, those things wouldn't have happened in the first place. You understand that? Somebody said the other day that, and this is interesting, I never, I never flushed it all the way out, but somebody said the other day that as I was studying for this, that, that every nonprofit organization at its root, was started because men weren't fulfilling their responsibilities. Again, maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but I think it's telling. I think it's interesting to look at, right? Our world needs us to be men. So, men, are you being watchful? Are you being mindful? Men, are you firmly planted in the truth? He says, stand firm in the faith. Are you willing to do that? What does that mean? As our, as, our Christ, as our culture becomes less and less Christian, are you still willing to identify as a Christian? Yeah, I think it means that, but I think it means more than that. Right? Are you willing to stand firm in the faith? That means against opposition, against resistance. Are you willing to say, no, 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 thus saith the Lord. And no, 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 I don't care what's easier or what it's going to cost me. Me and my family will serve the Lord. Are you willing to stand firm in the faith in the midst of sweeping cultural waters that are moving us away? Are you willing to stand Firm. Act like men, he says. 
be a man. Like that, that's also translated be courageous. You realize the idea of, of, of being courageous, having you know, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the doing the right thing anyway, right? That that's courage. It's not the absence of fear. It's that, do, it's that you're going to do the right thing. You're going to do what you need to do, what you're called to do, what others need you to do, even though you're scared. Listen, man, we don't talk about it a lot because we don't know how to, we don't want to, it's uncomfortable. But so much of what you do is driven by fear. Do you know that? Fear. John Eldridge has written a lot about this, and he says every man is asking at their core the question, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? You see young men play that out. They want their dad to see how far they threw the ball, right? How big the stick was they just broke, right? How high the ledge was they just jumped off. How fast they can drive their four-wheeler or motorcycle or whatever you dare give them, and then it keeps going as they get older, right? Can I get this girl? Can I play this sport? Can I get these grades? Can I get this job? Can I earn this income? Can I buy this house? Right? We, we see it. It's t- it. We take the question all sorts of places, but it, at, at, our, at our core, it's what we're longing to know. Do we have what it takes? Well, listen, that, that's, that's fear, right? Like, we're, we're, we're trying to, we're, we're scared that we'll be found out that, we, that we're just a poser, that we're just pretending that, that, that we don't have what it takes, right? That that drives so much of what you do. You need to be honest about that, and you need to bring that to the Lord. But here's, you know, we need to be willing to stand firm. That's true masculinity. Is it, no matter what we think we have or haven't done, like we stand in the faith. We stand firm for what God has said to be true, and we don't waver. But then he says, be Strong. What does that mean? Well, I, I want to, for the sake of time, focus squarely at the ultimate example of masculinity, the ultimate man, and that is Jesus Christ. And I want you to see him on the cross. Because on the surface, the cross seems like the greatest moment of weakness and failure, doesn't it? When you just see that, even in real time, you think about what, what has happened to Jesus. He's not who I thought he was. He, if you think about the disciples and the people who followed him, you see him on a cross, <clears throat> and it seems like failure. It seems like there's weakness there, and it turns out to be the greatest display of strength in human history. It turns out to be the greatest display of strength in human history. So here's the deal, men. If you're going to act like men, you're going to live as men. This is not a sermon about pulling up your bootstraps, trying harder and do better. Listen, that'll last until like Tuesday at best. You want to truly change? You want to see the man that God has called you to be be pulled out and pulled up through the surface of the mess that you've made and the sins and the failures and the fears that are within you? You want to see that true masculinity that God has placed in you uh, flourish and come out and have its full bearing on your world and the people that God has given you influence of? What you need to do is not try harder, do better, put it to act. But what you need to do is to come to the cross, to bow your knee to Jesus, to meet him there where he laid down the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate display of love. Paul says, let everything be done in love. Well, Jesus went to the cross, took his strength, right? You realize he created this world. He spoke it into existence, right? That's strength we don't even know how to comprehend. That's not muscles bulging out of a shirt, right? 
It's not lifting some, no, 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 that's the strength that when he says to the storm, peace, be still, it listens and stops. That's strength we don't even know how to comprehend. And yet, he allows himself to go to the cross. So listen, your journey to manhood, it goes only, it only, you only get there through the cross of Jesus Christ. You only get there by the redempting, the redeeming power and the redemption that is found at the cross through Jesus Christ. So church, that's where we have, as we, as we look at the world, as we look at the things that are going wrong, that has to be our only solution and our only hope is in our own. We know it's broken. That's absolutely broken. We're not gonna make excuses for that. We're not gonna say that's okay. We're not gonna give them a pass. We're not gonna not talk about it. We're gonna say, no, no, that is broken. That display of manhood is not manhood, it's broken. That display of, of strength is not true strength, it's broken. And, and what we are gonna call people to is to you know, come and bring that to the cross. So if we got any hope of being men and raising men, we have to, to start on our knees before a Savior. So that's, that's, my, um, that's, what, that's what I'm going to invite you to in this time of, of response today. Is men, let's just come to Jesus. I don't know what is behind your question and your fear or what you've taken that to or what your insecurities are that are driving your sin, driving you to stay at work as much as you do, driving you to do this, driving you to look at the screen and pornography and, and go to fake sources of masculine strength. They're driving you to speak to your wife or, or lay hands on your wife in a, in a way that, that God is, is not okay with. I don't know what's driving that, but I know that the solution is the cross. So would you come? So here's what we're gonna do, man. I'm gonna pray. And then, man, I just wanna come pray for men. If you're here and you got your boy with you, you can go get him out of Journey Kids if you want. I don't care. Let's just pray for our boys. Okay? Just come and pray. Come to the altar and pray. If you're here and you don't have boys, then if you're older, find a younger man to pray for. If you're, if you're younger and you're like, I, I don't have a dad, I don't have boys, then just, just come and pray and we'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. Listen, fatherlessness is, is the, one of the, if not the greatest threat to our culture that we know it's, it's related to so many things that I don't have time to unpack. But in the gospel, we have the answer where men step in and we, we father other men, we, we care for, we initiate, we, we walk other men into manhood. We need to do that, church. So as we pray, men, come. If you got boys, bring them. If not, just come. And, and older men, I want to encourage you to just be prayerful about who, I want you to look around the room and, and just say, maybe you don't know this person, just say, hey, can I pray for you? And if that, you know, if a middle-aged guy's praying for a younger man, you can go pray for that middle-aged guy. Let's just bring ourselves to the cross. Let's bring our, our masculinity to Jesus and ask him to redeem it. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us in this moment? We as men, don't know how to talk about what we feel and what we're fearing. And yet, unless we bring that to you, we'll never experience true hope and change and redemption. And so we ask for that, Jesus. Would you be with the men across this church? And as we come to you in prayer, would you just meet us and, and do a mighty work? Lord, I don't know what you have in store for us today, but would you do a work in our midst? in your name, for your glory, and for the good of this broken world. Help us to be the men you've called us to be. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Church.